Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Healy's away. Australia away. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth 20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Welcome back to The Scoop, the cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. Now we're two weeks down into the WBBL Village and we finally got some cricket to enjoy on Sunday after a pretty wet start. LJ, what was your favourite moment of the weekend? I have to say it was watching Georgia the Wolf Wareham score her maiden Big Bash 50 yesterday against the Sixers. She only hit her first six ever in the WBBL at the end of last season and she's just taken her batting game to a whole new level, scoring 54 not out from just 27 deliveries. And, um, yeah, gave Elise Perry a little bit of punishment at the end there of the innings. How about you, Em? I cannot go past Sammy Jo Johnson rolling in in lime green and picking up exactly where she left off last season, hitting four glorious sixes in one over against the Strikers. Alrighty, let's catch up on the news of the week, shall we, LJ? Absolutely. First things first, what has been happening here in the WBBL Village? Plenty. So in very exciting news, we had our very first village mayor elected. So each club submitted their nominee and it went to a public vote via Instagram. The Melbourne Stars had a very professional campaign executed by Elise Valani and Holly Furling, which ended up being enough to get Barvi Devchand over the line. And in very exciting news, Barvi will be joining us Uh, on the pod later on as the village mayor. So get excited for that. We've also had Halloween. We had a few uh, decorations around the village, a few treats, not so many tricks, and a ping pong tournament won by the Scorchers who upset a very extra group of renegades. So look out for some highlights from that on socials coming up. And of course, there was finally some cricket played. So unfortunately, we lost three more matches to the rain here in Sydney. But we, we, we got some cricket and that's all that matters. Um, there were some upset results and some really exciting performances to reflect on. Absolutely. Had a huge triple header or what promised to be a huge triple header of cricket at Showground Stadium on Saturday, which started off with a brilliant all-round display from the Thunder against the Strikers. Unfortunately, then the rain ruined what was turning into an absolute thriller between the heat and the hurricanes and ended in a complete washout of what had been a really highly anticipated showdown between the Sixers and the Stars. Then over at Dremoyne Oval, the Scorchers cruised home in another rain-affected game, 
to pick up some points against the Renegades. We got off to another wet start on Sunday as the Thunder got the better of the heat in a rain-reduced game. But we got some cricket in, in the afternoon, didn't we, LJ? Absolutely. And we saw Elisa Healy just come out with some serious intent to blitz the Renegades, sealing a second win of the season for the Sixers. Over at Dremoyne Oval, the Stars finally got a match on the board and a win as well, thanks to a dominant display over the Hurricanes. But unfortunately, the Scorchers were again denied a result for the second day in a row when rain ruined their match against the Strikers. Now we are here today with the newly minted village mayor, Bavi Devchand, who won the election last week with a landslide vote. Bavi, talk us through that. Like you had a big campaign behind you. How does it feel to be the mayor? Oh, look, I'm probably one of the more introverted and chill people in the team. And it started out as a bit of a joke, um, just to test a bit of a theory. But when you have Elise Fellani and the likes of Holly Furling in your team, you're never going to go down slowly. So um, basically it was 5pm. The vote counted, I think, I think it closed at 7 or mm-hmm. 7.30. Yeah, 7.30. And we've got back from training and uh, the car I was in went down to the basement and I get a message from Holly saying, we need you in the basketball court now. I have no idea what's going on. I was planning on going up, having a shower, chilling before dinner. And they had this whole thing organised with a camera, a campaign, and then I initially said straight up to Junior, I'm not doing this, no chance. I literally said that. I said, I'm not doing this. Um, But at the end of the day, it's a bit of fun. We've been around here for a while. Um, So just rolled with it. I actually had no idea what was coming next. Um, As I say, I'm just a pretty face on one side, and they're my self-appointed campaign managers. Um, So, yeah, they put out quite a bit of content on social media, and our Stars Media Manager was uh, all about it, shared it everywhere and it went a bit viral, I think. So Absolutely. here we are, Mayor of the Village. I still don't know what my duties are or what I'm doing at all in any capacity, but we're rolling <laughs> with it. Every day is a new day. It's, and it certainly started up some conversations. I mean, I've, I've not been around for a couple of years, so and there's a lot of new faces and it's quite funny, people that I literally would never have spoken to. It started up conversations oh, that's and, and that's been really cool just to kind of get to know different people around the village. Oh, awesome. And why do you think the girls wanted you as their mayor? Um, good question. So we had a theory that if it's a public vote, cricket's pretty big in India, <laughs> so the public vote, we, we know that Indian's very, cricket's very popular, there's a lot of Indian fans out there that someone of Indian descent, which I am, would might strike a chord with the public. Um, and then they also had a few words that if, I'm, if anyone's going to get things done, um, I do like to get things done. Um, I don't like sitting around and there's a few things around the village that we wanted to get. We've been here for a while, as I said, quarantining as we all did together um, and noticed a few things were like, nah, let's, let's, let's try and change. And I think one of the things that they've talked about is you get to have a smoothie named after you. Do you have a favourite <laughs> smoothie ingredient or anything you oh, want to put look, in there? Oh, they already had my favourite on there. I'm a mad Nutella fan. So they have a Nutella smoothie on there, but I haven't actually thought that far ahead, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else you're looking to change around the village? Um, I've had a few requests. So number one has been a hairdresser. Um, that's come from a lot of the village, uh, the Victorian girls, as I said. So we haven't had access to a hairdresser since May. But with the in-house, we've had Nicole Fulton, who's decided she is the hairdresser. And she's 
been on fire. She must have had over 10 different people, guys, girls. She's done fadeaways. She's done trims. She's done all sorts. So we may not actually need that in the end. Um, a lot has been around downstairs, a few food requests, a few bar requests. That's been the main one, if I'm honest. Um, a lot of the girls can't understand why we're closing it at 9 p.m. at the end of game days. Um, but at the end of the day, we are here to play cricket and do a job. So um, it's been very entertaining, as I said, with lots of requests left, right and centre. The most rare one has actually been a pole. Someone's asked for pole for pole dancing. Um, <laughs> so there's all sorts of characters in the village. I don't know how I found myself in this position, but it, it is very entertaining. Oh, God. Oh, it's outstanding. And how have you found village life with the stars? Is it what you expected? Oh, it's been incredible, actually. So it's it's a new team, completely new for us. There's probably about six or seven from Vic and then six or seven new people, a new coach. Um, it's been unbelievable. I've never been involved in a team that's just clicked immediately. Um, there's some superstars. So initially coming in, I know a few of us, and I've been around for a while, but it's still a bit like intimidating because they're such good cricketers. You're literally playing with some of the best of all time. Um, but they're unbelievable. And um, Trent coming in, uh, as head coach has been really good too. So he's he's a very simple man. He keeps his philosophies very simple but then allows you to fully express yourself in whatever your role is. Um, and that's been really refreshing along with Lockie Stevens who's been our Vic coach. Just a very similar approach um, and really enjoying that. And in terms of village life, it's been unbelievable actually. So almost a bit overwhelming being stuck inside for four <laughs> or five months not talking to anyone. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's really enjoyable and the CA staff have done an unbelievable job setting it up. Sure. And what's the energy been like on the Stars floors? You, got, you guys had a few wash-ups to start off with, but every, everyone going okay, feeling motivated? Yeah, it's been unreal actually. So you wouldn't even know whether we'd won, lost, had washouts. Um, we've got a few things going on. There's a, a lot of golf. Uh, chipping into buckets and foam rollers. We've, got, we've been playing a game called 500, a card game. Uh, since the start of quarantine. So it's been about a month now and we're still not sick of it. Um, and as I said, we've got some fiery characters that keep things like Elise Villani, Nicole Fulton. Uh, there's a few others that just keep things very entertaining and energetic. Sounds fun. Now, Bavi, we're hoping to trace back to your early days. So you mentioned the other night you've got Indian and Zimbabwean heritage. Is that right? Yep. So I was born in Zimbabwe. Okay. My parents were born in Zimbabwe, but on both sides, the grandparents are from India, so Gujarat. Um, and we've maintained that Indian heritage throughout. So we're still fairly religious, still celebrate Indian events and a lot of our family friends are Indian as well. Um, so very much feel like I've got a pretty close connection to India, even though I've only been there once, which is last year. I definitely want to go and explore more of it. Uh, and then I moved to Australia in 2001 when I was eight. So I feel mostly Australian as in I've spent most of my life here, sound very Australian. Um, and yeah, like, it's, it's incredible. I wouldn't have had the opportunities to even play if we were in Sillon Zimbabwe. It's not really a thing. I know there's a women's team, but it's not really getting anywhere. Like the opportunities we have here are just incredible. Yeah, it's a great story. How did cricket come into your life as a young youngster? Um, well, obviously with the Indian heritage, I don't think I had any choice. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, my dad took my younger brother to sign up for the local club, which is Junior Cricket Club, and it, almost by luck it happened to be the only club that had – a girls team so he was like well I play all the time in the backyard do you want to give it a crack so he was pretty open-minded it's not something girls did or Indian girls did as I said my my parents are pretty progressive and like yeah no-brainer I played all sorts of different sports so um, went down and 
absolutely loved it, had a really good group of girls and literally never looked back. It's brilliant. And when did you realise you might want to make a career or, or forge your way into elite cricket? Well, growing up, elite cricket wasn't really a thing. or well, It wasn't a career. So you could play for WA, but I never looked at it as a career. All I knew that I loved sport. I constantly had my mum in my ear telling me, you need to study, you need to do your work, and I constantly didn't listen. Um, <laughs> but... I think I actually didn't even know the WA women's team existed till I was about 16 um, and I went down to a match. It's quite funny because WA playing Victoria and a young Elise Villani, I think she was in her first year of cricket and she boshed the ball all over the place and I remember thinking, I was like, wow, that's so cool. I don't think I actually told her this. Um, and seeing one of my friends who was my age maker debut, Emma King, and that's why I went down to the game. And since that moment, I very clearly remember it. I was like, wow, this is, this is something. There's, you can actually do this at, at a senior level. It's not something that once you finish your schooling years, you go into a real job or uni and carry on with life. And that was certainly a turning point where I realised, okay, I'd better start doing some work here and try try make it. And when did you break into the WA team? Um, so I finished, I got really lucky actually. So under 17s back then was your state setup, And then the year I turned 18, it actually changed to under 18s. So I got one more year in the junior age group. And then the next year I made the WA squad um, and made my debut that year as a swashbuckling medium pace opening bowler, which I do none of at the moment. I <laughs> uh, stopped growing and I wasn't very strong, so that career went away pretty quickly. And I basically became a top order bat for a few years before almost got bored in the nets one time, started bowling leg spin, and it came out pretty well. So just carried on with it. It took a lot of work, like I'm talking for, I'm in my fifth year now, and I only think last year I kind of felt like yeah I can say I'm a leg spinner um, but yeah it's been quite the journey. And what were, was the highlight of your time with WA? Definitely that group of girls there's there's a core group which m- majority of them are still playing together uh, where we're all in our mid-20s now and we literally grew up with each other from 13, 14 and we all came through together we lost a lot of cricket when we were young um, but as I slowly got better and better and it's just as I said, when, when you're a kid, that's why you play. You play with your mates. Um, you go and have a good time and, and that's by far all my memories. It's almost none of them are on field. They're all off field and the banter and the enjoyment with those girls. And you fell away from the WA squad in 2019, is that right, and came back to play club cricket in Melbourne, Ringwood? Yeah, that's right. So I lost my contracts late May in 2019, mm-hmm. so it's pretty late and I actually had a really good season. So it was a bit of a shock. Um, but at the same time, if you look at the numbers that I'd produced for the three, four, five seasons before that, they weren't very good at all. So I think it was just a kind of something that had built up. Coach Lisa Kitely was really clear with me. She was brilliant, as you can be. Obviously, I was really devastated. It hit me pretty hard because it's probably the first time where I was pretty sure that I would get recontracted. Every year prior to that, it was... Nah, I'm probably going to lose it. Like, I'm probably done now. And then you're always on the edge. And I've always been, I always say I'm a bit of a battler. I'm always on the edge, kind of in and out of teams, in and out of squads. But that was the first time I really, like, everything was cut off. And you just find yourself in the, in the middle of nowhere, really. And I was pretty lost for about oh, three, four months there and had an approach from a friend in Melbourne, um, Andrew Walton, who's like, why don't you just come over here and play? And I thought about it and I said no. 
I said, why would I do that? That's a really dumb idea. Victoria, one of the strongest in the league. Their comp's really strong. There's no way I can crack it there. Um, and he was brilliant. He actually said exactly. And then I still didn't get it. Um, but the point was is I could come across and just enjoy my cricket because I was so certain I'd never be able to play for Victoria. So I'd got into this habit of always searching for the next level. So you're always searching and searching and, oh, what have I got to do now? I've got to tick all these boxes. I just, like, I wanted it so bad. But then coming to Victoria was the perfect break for me where I could just actually enjoy it. Like, I came over here, did a bit of casual work. Like, didn't, I'd been working pretty hard off field as well for a while. So it had taken its toll um, and just enjoyed 12 months away from the game. I actually went to Ireland first for six weeks and played for a club over there, Malahide. And that, that was brilliant. It was one of the best six weeks of my life. Again, enjoyable. There's, there's, they're not serious about their cricket there. It was just fun. And the other element, which was the same down at Ringwood, was also having a group of young kids. So our average age in the first grade comp last year was 16 years and nine months, which is just ludicrous for a senior team. But they are very, very talented and it's a real family club. And it's, I think it was just the perfect cocktail, like letting go of searching for the next level, a group of young kids, energy, passionate, a way to give back because I really enjoy coaching as well. Um, and that element of just like chilling out. <laughs> I stopped going so hard all the time, cricket and out of cricket. And it, it all kind of clicked for me. So I ended up having a really good season um, it, with both bat and ball and found myself back in the system almost by accident. What do you see as the main differences maybe just in your attitude and your mindset between playing in an elite setup and a more casual club cricket setup? Um, I think the difference has actually been more so to do with my approach. So when I was in an elite setup in WA, it was all very exciting. So, and I think the kids still do this when they come in now and I see it where you come in and there's an SNC coach because it's pre-season and there's a physio, there's a dietitian, there's all these people around and you've got to tick all these boxes and do all this stuff before you even get to look at a cricket ball. Um, which, in theory, that's what's made Australian cricket really strong because we have that professionalism. But at the same time, from a player's perspective, you can get really distracted, especially someone like me who's an overthinker, a bit of a perfectionist. I want to tick, like I want to do everything really well. But that ended up being detrimental to my performance. Whereas when I went to a club environment, it's actually there's no opportunity to do all that stuff you should do it in theory but like you go down to training and we bat and bowl and at the time I was in my career that's what I needed I needed to get back to cricket get back to why I play in the first place when I went down to Whitford's junior cricket club what did we do we bat and bowl we 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 just mucked around like it was a bit of fun um and then coming back into the system now initially was challenging because now you're hit in the face with all those things again all those boxes that you need to tick um, but the difference is that I now understand that that is there to support my cricket. That's not the end goal. Yeah. And that's that's a really critical difference, which like a lot of what I'm doing now is to try help the next generation understand that. I think to a point sometimes you have to experience it and I think you have to go through that. Like you have to search and you have to find what your personal balance is. Um, but it is definitely a personal preference of what what does it mean to me why am i why am i going to this gym session is it because i want to beat all the fitness tests or is it because i want to get better to improve my skills and i think that's a major difference and so when you're playing playing in ireland playing in ringwood was it always in the back of your mind that you wanted to get a victorian contract um definitely not in ireland ireland was uh, i'd say it was more of a party than yep. a <laughs> 
than a cricket trip. Um, but it's exactly what I needed at the time. Once I got into Ringwood, I would go through phases. So there's sometimes where I'd be like, no, I really want it. Like I want to prove them wrong. Um, and more often than not, that ended up in low scores. So my first half of the season, I think we had a lot of 2020s and I actually didn't do that well with the bat in 2020s. Yeah. Because uh, I was really, I was like, no, nah, I want to become this. I was watching everyone else bat. It's like everyone's aggressive at the top of the order. Mm-hmm. I'm opening the batting. Um, and I just want to, like, smash the ball everywhere. And that's the way I should do it. And then it was actually the worst thing for me because that's not how I play. Um, I have my own style and I just needed to trust that. Um, but then when I went back to actually just chilling, enjoying it, what, what, how do I play, still developing my game, and how I want to play, that's when all the runs started coming back again. And it's funny, like whenever I tried to think about the future, it would never work out, never. And what were you doing work-wise before your break and then you said you did some casual work too once you came to Melbourne? Yes, I'm an exercise physiologist by, like I'm qualified as an ex-phys. So I worked in that for about three or four years and from honest got bored pretty quickly. So (laughs) I ended up working for my old man who has a business uh, that makes school uniforms and corporate uniforms and I love the business world. So it's got absolutely nothing to do with cricket, which is probably a good thing. Um, But at the same time, business is all about performance. So it was bringing in what what I'd learnt from a marketing point of view and what I learnt from a high performance point of view into his business and trying to tighten things up a bit, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then something I've always done on the side is coaching and, and I absolutely love coaching. Um, more so helping people develop rather than teaching specific cricket shots and how to bowl a ball. I just love the idea of like personal growth and, and how do you actually perform because what happens is performance is when there's an outcome. When there's an outcome, you're personally challenged to do what's in your control and that whole dynamic is like I'm really passionate about it so when I came to Melbourne I was doing a lot of coaching uh, helping Ringwood girls people outside one-to-one small group Um, and I did a little bit of work with Cricket Victoria as well in their leadership program so they have a girls school leadership program which is actually nothing to do with cricket it's just supported by Cricket Victoria and that was what the whole bunch of schools would come in and it's just basically talking about my experience and topics that we've we've covered today. Very cool and how did the Vic contract come about? Like, who got in touch with you? Yeah, so I, my manager, Silvio, who's a brilliant man, I only started working with him in March. It's at the end of the season. And he gave me a call. Yeah, again, it was really late in May, um, mid-quarantining, COVID, all sorts of things going on. And he said, look, I've just got a call. They're going to offer you a contract. And I was like, brilliant. Uh, I was in the car. It's actually quite a funny story. So I was in the exact same place that, I was when I found out I lost my contract um, and like I was with I was literally at work I just got in the car my dad was there when I lost it like I just broke down in tears to him and I did the same thing this time and I was like he's like now what <laughs> he's like you, you can't have anything you lost it already what are you doing and I was like no it's the other way around dad except I'm gonna have to go to Victoria in two weeks time um, so that was really cool a bit scary because obviously we, no one knew what was happening with the world but I was like well I'm not really doing anything here. I might as well go over and give it a red hot crack. So that, that was pretty cool. And what a strange environment to come into too with COVID. Yeah. How did you find that restricted training and everything you guys went through? It was tough at times, but if I'm honest, personally, I was like, I was in heaven because what happened is the Australian players were around a lot. So 
the standard of training was unbelievable. We didn't have access to a lot of the normal things we would. We barely got on turf. We had no centre wickets. I still haven't... Well, we had a practice game a couple of weeks ago, but the last game of cricket I played was in March. Um, and it was challenging, that's for sure. Like, living... I was living with Kim Garth, who's uh, also here. She's also moved across to Melbourne um, for cricket. So neither of us had any family around, any friends. We were kind of just stuck in the house and we got to know each other pretty well, which was a bonus. Um, but it definitely was challenging. And coming to the point where actually coming here for a two-week quarantine in a hotel, I was interacting with more people more often than I was back home in Melbourne. Yeah. And was your old man pretty stoked for you when he was with you when you heard the news that you got a contract again? Yeah, absolutely. The, the whole family was pretty stoked because they knew how much it meant to me. So uh, pretty much message went out to the family group pretty quickly and then, yeah, it was it all it all happened so fast. Like I actually don't even know. I moved my whole life over within a week really. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to get home for Christmas yeah. um, but we just got to see what happens with the borders and all that sort of stuff. But they're, they're unbelievable. They've been great sports. And Bavi, you've got your own podcast, Inside mm-hmm. Edge. How did that come about? Is that something you'd been wanting to do for a while to sort of share your own experiences? Yeah, I think so. So like, I podcast changed my life, to be honest. Yeah. Like, sort of in the middle of that battling period, is WBBL01. I had no idea what a podcast was, yeah. but I missed out on that first squad, and that's the first time I'd really kind of missed out on a squad because I'd kind of walked in for the vast majority. And it hit me hard and I can't remember, I discovered this podcast by Lewis Howes who's gone gangbuster since then and it's called The School of Greatness. Very corny name but one of the best podcasts. And I I listened, he had about 300 episodes out by then. I went back and I listened from number one right through. I've kind of not, he's just crossed crossed the thousand mark. Um, But from that I learn about it and there's so much. I was driving a lot for work um, so I was listening to a lot of podcasts and it's just something I've always wanted to do. Um, and then combining that with my passions around coaching and understanding the inner workings of performance, it kind of all clicked together. I just found myself around some pretty cool people. Um, was a little bit bored in ISO as well. Definitely contributed to finally getting it done. Um, and my one of my best mates, Nicole Bolton, she has an unbelievable story. And we've been talking about she she wanted to get it out there for a long time. And we've been talking about it. I'm talking two, three years. We've been talking about doing one. Oh, wow. um, so finally, like, nah, let's just get it done. And, yeah, it started rolling from there. How good. Do you feel like learning and hearing about other athletes' experiences with this aspect of the game is helping your own mindset? Oh, definitely. I've, I think I've learnt more than I expected, for yeah. sure. And there's little nuggets that have come out of it that I asked a question almost with the intent of helping someone else, thinking, yeah. oh, yeah, I, I kind of know the answer to this one. And I'm like, oh, that's such a cool way of looking at it. <laughs> and it's unbelievable. You learn so much just from having conversations. And whether it's a po- on the podcast or just day-to-day life, we're pretty lucky yeah. in this village to actually have access. Been your favourite guest so far on your podcast? Definitely this guy called Drew Broughton. So most on the podcast are cricketers, and I've tried to keep yeah. it to female cricketers. But he's a performance coach, which I stumbled across online somewhere, read his book. We've been chatting a bit for a while an outrageous story exactly about what we spoke about, how he he's an ex-Premier League footballer yeah. um, and went into this ticking boxes. He was 6% body fat. He was the fittest guy in the world. He actually outperformed Cristiano Ronaldo in almost every fitness test. Wow. Yet he kept getting dropped and he played for 22 clubs in 19 years. But he talks a lot about fear and managing fear, performance, anxiety, um, but also off-field and he went through all sorts of addictions and it basically came back to just shame and he couldn't face himself. 
and he was always trying to be perfect and he needed he needed to win as opposed to wanting to win yeah. and there's a big difference between those two and funnily enough the one person on there that's not from cricket has had the most amount of feedback like wow. positive feedback than anyone else yeah so with all your interest in performance analysis mindset what's the perfect combination for you what does your mindset need to be for you to be performing at your best it's a good question and I'm not sure I can fully answer that yet I've gone through waves so I went through a wave of no it's just full freaks like based on the last stories like when was I going well I was going well because I was playing freedom and it was fun and it was enjoyable um but I actually think it's not 100% that I do need an element of focus like I need an element of like competition and I really actually enjoy that and that's been a big learning of the last couple of months to be honest that's what I've missed the most when we're just pottering around training 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 we never get to play I found my performance go down a bit and actually I really love that competition but it's about loving the competition as opposed to needing to be great in that competition so can I approach it and still be okay to fail Um, give it a red hot crack get in the contest but as soon as I walk off the line I'm okay I'm fine like life goes on whereas before I'd probably approach it in the same way but the world would end if I didn't perform yeah that's it's fascinating um you're learning that that about yourself and bringing that back into the stars now are you finding that's helping you and and even when you're coaching does that help you coach others in their own mindset yeah massively I think that's everything to be honest it's separating the person from the persona so the person is me Five Dev Chant, I'm off the field. My job is to be myself, be kind, look after other people, work hard, do all the things that I love to do. But the persona is what we call is my on field. So that's what I bring on field. It can be a bit more ruthless. I wanna win, like I wanna beat you. Um, but it's really important to actually separate those two. And that's the biggest thing that you bring into any form of coaching or just being around the group. And it's not easy. That's it's very easy to say that. Very easy to say that. I can sit here and talk all like all day. Um, but to actually be able to do it is a challenge. But I'd say my biggest growth in the last year has been able to execute that more often than not. And that must be something that's pretty important in this environment, particularly. You're staying in a really enclosed hub with everyone you're playing against. And everyone's got their on-field personas, but you've also got to hang out with each other all the time in the village. Yeah, definitely. I think this is as challenging as it gets, to be honest, because especially if you're a bit of a people pleaser or everyone has their fear, we call it FOPO. Have you heard of the word FOPO? FOPO. So there's FOMO, which is fear of missing out. FOPO is fear of other people's opinions. And I think I've yet to meet anyone that can honestly say they're not scared at all of anyone else's opinions and it's probably the biggest issue in society today is that fear of other people's opinions and I along with many others are riddled with it and coming into a village environment where after you've played a game you walk back home or what we call home and there's 200 other people that have just watched you and you probably think are judging what you've done like how do you not take that personally Whereas a normal BBL season, yeah, you could go back to the hotel or you go back to your own house, but it's your teammates and it's a lot easier to just be you around your teammates. Uh, So it is a very challenging environment and I can imagine some of the younger girls at some point will struggle. We're still early doors. No one's really played the proper game yet. So (laughs) Um, uh, it's fascinating, but at the end of the day, I think everyone will learn and grow from the experience. It, It probably will end up being a bit of an accelerator to some of the things we're talking about compared to yeah. your normal season. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And Barbie, obviously you've seen a lot over your time in cricket, but we're here in the WBBL Village. 
an enormous amount of work has gone into setting it all up. There's, every team is well supported with coaching staff and, and everything. How has the game, have you seen the women's game evolve in, in the time you've been involved? Unbelievable. I was actually just having this conversation yesterday with a couple of friends back in Perth in that I feel like I've come a long way as a bowler. I'm actually getting hit way more though because the game has developed so much just in the two years I've been out of the game. Granted, Stars have a pretty long, uh, pretty strong batting lineup. Um, the game is unbelievable and just seeing the skill levels on display, bat, ball, field, even uh, off field, like the coaching staff and how good they are and the, ta- the, the knowledge that they bring to the game and to people development and team development has been unbelievable. And I think it is a testament to the professionalism of the game. Um, we've just got to be able to manage that well as players. Sure. And we're guessing you're pretty keen to get that stars cap in, on your head. What would it mean to you to make your debut up, in, up here in Sydney? Oh, it absolutely mean the world. I think we had a really cute cap presentation the other night. We've decided to do it off-field at, with stars as a change to being on-field before the game, unless, of course, there's a last-minute change or something. Um, and the emotions there were, were pretty heightened. I almost cried and it wasn't even my cap being presented <laughs> to young Sophie Day, who's a bit of a legend. Um, and you just see the, the Stars family, uh, it really is a family considering we've been together two weeks. And I think it just sort of signified good progress of my own career as well. We've seen a bit of a battle and I didn't really set the goal of I'm going to play Big Bash again, yeah. but just being here is just a nice little reward. But at the end of the day, I also know that if, even if it doesn't come, it's been a bloody awesome experience. And what are your longer-term ambitions in terms of cricket and then life after cricket even? I actually have no idea, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Cricket-wise, that's the biggest learning is not to look ahead anymore. I used to be someone that would have every possible goal planned in the next five or ten years of what I want to achieve, whereas now it's like, okay, what's my job now? It's big bash. Let's Mm -hmm. do whatever I can to help the stars and then we'll work it out after that. (laughs) Um, General life ambitions, I'd love to keep going with performance coaching, Uh, whether it's in sport, business world, I'm just going to kind of let it take me where it takes me and and do the best I can with what's in front of me for now. Barbie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you joining us on The Scoop. Breath of fresh air and great to hear from you and we wish you all the best for the season. All right, thanks very much for having me. Now we're once again joined by our resident expert, former Aussie leg spinner and ABC commentator, Kristen Beams. Beamsy, we're going to start off by asking you what your favourite moment of the weekend was. Well, it's, it's really hard for me to go past Elise Villani's 50. As a devout Stars person, I think it was really nice to, to see her making runs at the top of the order. The Stars haven't had a lot of cricket so far. She missed out in the, in the first game. So for her to do well, I think it's really important. And we'd spoken about her previously, that potentially with the players around her, she can kind of take the handbrake off and play with a lot more freedom. So it was really nice to see her play that sort of innings. Um, and I think it really set Stars up. Yeah, that was actually the first time we've seen a Stars, the Stars get to play a completed match. Um, what do you think we learned about them from that game? I think we learned that the biggest change is actually going to be their ability to take wickets in the power play and, and led by Catherine Brunn and Nat Siver. And it's something that the Stars haven't been able to do in previous tournaments. But it just goes to show that if you can take wickets in that power play and when your international players are really stepping up and, and making it count. I think that's really important to what they're doing. I think everyone's talking about they've got a better batting lineup, 
but I think actually the magic is going to be what they can do from a bowling point of view in that power play. Now, one team I don't think anyone talked too much about or, or was talking up too much leading into the tournament was the Sydney Thunder, but they've um, had two really impressive wins at the weekend. What do you think is working for them right now? I think they the two games are actually the tale of two different parts. I, I think that was really nice for the for the Thunder. I think the the hand that Sammy Joe played, everyone's going to talk about Heather Knight and that innings of, you know, 83 off 39 balls. But for me, it was actually Sammy Joe coming out at that time. And, you know, she was 30 off 13 balls and taking down probably the striker's best weapon in Amanda Wellington. So I think that little cameo just goes to show how big a recruit that Sammy Joe Johnson is for that team. So they were sort of scratching around a little bit up top. Sammy Joe just came in, hit the ball cleanly, and away they went. I think in the second game, it was actually more about Treneman and Beaumont sort of taking the game on a little bit more. But the other big recruit for the Thunder is, is actually Lauren Smith. Um, I think she bowled really well in both games and, and their spin was able to dominate. And again, they probably haven't been talked about as much as, as other teams. But I think if you've got spinners bowling well and your top order can fire, you're going to go a really long way in this tournament. It seems like they've got a nice little balance, the Thunder. Yeah, they definitely seem to be clicking early on. And part of that was Heather Knight. Obviously, you mentioned her ridiculous 83 off 37. And then she followed that up with career best figures against the Heat on Sunday. Thoughts on how Heather has evolved her T20 game in the last few years? Yeah, I think she's really improved. And I, th- I think that's got a lot to do with how successful England have been and and probably her experiences coming in and out of the Big Bash We. You know, we've also talked about the fact that the WBBL is making a lot of international cricketers better, which is good and bad. I think it's great for world cricket. It makes, poses some challenges for that Australian team. And I think Heather Knight is one of those players that's probably really taken those opportunities. She's been very successful domestically um, in the KSL with the Western Storm. And she's linked back up with her coach of of that team is, is now coaching the Thunder. So it seems like everything sort of clicked for her from that point of view, but I think she's far more dynamic from a batting point of view. And I I think she's starting to maybe shake the tag of being a part-time bowler. I think she's certainly more than that right now. And we had all all that talk about Mooney and Devine and the Scorchers recruiting in the off-season. Heather's move, I think, flew under the radar a little bit. But is she kind of low-key the uh, biggest recruit right now? Oh, it's a a good question. I reckon there's a few sort of low-key recruits. And I I actually, she's definitely one of them. But I think Sammy Joe potentially is is probably the bigger recruit. Um, And the one that's probably going to fly under the radar the most is actually going to be Lauren Smith. I think just going across town, I think she was sort of playing a smaller role for the Sixers. But she's actually playing a really important role for the, the Thunder right now. So I think in terms of adding something that's really going to have impact, I'd actually have to go with Lauren Smith. Love it. And um, obviously we know we spoke about this a lot in the lead up to the season. There are a lot of different lineups. So we've got the um, the Melbourne Stars and the Sydney Thunder who are, seem to be gelling really well, whereas the Hurricanes seem to be struggling to sort of click. What, from your perspective, from a player's perspective, what does it take for a team to sort of click from the get-go? Yeah, I think it's it's probably about sort of just really taking the game on and and having the ability to not play the the perfect game and for it to be a little bit ugly. I think the the Hurricanes had some struggles in terms of the weather wasn't looking after them. They they got themselves oh so close on the on the weekend in the chase and fell three balls short of, of yeah. probably having a win. And I think sometimes it feels like when you it doesn't click for you that you don't get any luck. And then all of a sudden it just feels like it rolls on. So I think it's been 
fortunate for some teams they've been able to click. It hasn't clicked for the Hurricanes, but it, I think it's a lot about just going like, you know what, we're just going to keep taking the game on. And if we have to play ugly to, to claw our way through them, then we're going to have to do that. And there's no doubt their, their bowling stocks are a little bit low without Blumenic and, and Gibson. So it just means even more so that their, their top order are going to be under a little bit more pressure to actually make sure they can put some big scores on the board. Very interesting. And another team I actually want to touch on is the Melbourne Renegades, who are back-to-back semi-finalists, but looked pretty off the pace yesterday against the Sydney Sixers. Is this them really feeling the loss of Jess Duffin and Leah Tahuhu, or is there anything else you've identified that isn't going right for them? Yeah, well, I think that Tahuhu plays such an important role in, in that Renegades lineup. And we've talked about how important the Renegades spinners are. I still think they, they have the best spin attack in this competition, and I think they will be successful um, throughout the WBBL. But Tahuhu goes through that power play, and, and some of the time he's only going at three or less and over. So all of a sudden, as a spinner, the game sort of opens up for you from, from that point of view. I think similarly from a batting point of view, I think there were times last year where the Renegades were under the pump. Enter Jess Duffin, and she just plays with complete freedom, and she's such a great player to be able to do that. It just seems at the moment they haven't been able to play with the same sort of freedom right now. So I think they're, they're so close to just being able to click. I'm predicting that someone like a Lizzie Lee is going to make a, a big score and we know that she sort of averages at least 100 in this tournament. And I think if she can kick start things for them, they'll just get a roll on. I think they're just having a scratchy, slow start at the moment. I'm not sure how far away to who who is, but I think as soon as they can get her back into that lineup, I think it's just sort of going to change the whole game for the Renegades. And speaking of the quicks, I'm not sure how closely you were watching the uh, speak on, on the Channel 7 coverage at the weekend, but um, we were seeing some pretty high ones. Darcy Brown up there in the mid-120s. Maitland Brown was being clocked, um, similar pace to Shabnam Ismail. Do you think this might be a, a result of the increasing professionalism in the state programs? It just seems like players are sending it down a lot quicker than they were a few years ago. Yeah, I definitely think that. I think the change in professionalisation, the girls are stronger. You've only got to look at someone like Darcy Brown because she's also a young quick and she looks so strong. So to think that these players at, at a young age are going to be much stronger and have the ability that... You know, there's no real ceiling on how fast she's going to be able to bowl. So it's exciting when we're seeing young bowlers bowl really quick. So I think that's been really important. I think we've also had a change of philosophy. And I think Taylor Vlamenic sort of started that, um, certainly from an Australian point of view, to say we actually want people to come in and bowl quick. It's not always going to be accurate, but it actually that actually doesn't matter. You know, when all of a sudden we're seeing some really good short balls and the ball that Darcy Brown bowled to Sophie Devine was excellent. And actually just seeing that and coaches sort of going like, actually, this is really important to the game plan. So I think it's a bit change of philosophy. And I think it's also about the professionalisation. But I think it makes for really exciting cricket to watch when we're seeing young fast bowlers come in and and wanting to use the bouncer. Definitely does. Speaking of exciting cricket, Elisa Healy and the Sydney Sixers put on an absolute clinic on Sunday. Um, it's pretty hard to see anyone beating the Sixers when, when Healy comes out and does that. They've got their fierce rivals, the Brisbane Heat, on Wednesday. What do you think the Heat bowlers have to do to put a stop to the likes of Healy, Perry, Gardner, Burns and their extensive batting order? Yeah, it's, it's hard yards when you know that you get one out and then another one comes out. It becomes really hard work. And sometimes as a bowling group in that conversation, you, you think to yourself, you know, what? maybe we should just bowl some rubbish deliveries because it's potentially the only way that we're going to get them out. I think they, they have to be so, so disciplined. You cannot miss against Elisa Healy. And 
the struggle is that she also hits your good ball. So I think it's about actually staying in the moment for as long as you can and understanding that there are going to be some fours and sixes, but we've got to hang in there for long enough. I think they just wear you down the sixes because you just know there's more coming one after the other. So I think your ability as a bowler to stay confident, sort of puff the chest out at the top of your mark and come in and, and keep doing the business is probably going to go a long way to, to being successful against the sixes. But yeah, I'm predicting bowl full tosses and half trackers and, you know, back yourself in that way. Should go well. And one of the matches we're really pumped about over the next weekend is the Stars versus the Scorchers. And hopefully that should give us a real indication of where both teams are at. Who do you think is coming in as the favourite here and what do you see as the key for both teams? Well, it's pretty even. I think probably based on the the Stars' performance on the weekend, you'd have to think that they go in fairly strongly just because of the performance of those two English quicks. So I think the fact that they've been able to take wickets in the power play, that's probably going to be where the game is won or lost. So if the the Stars can break through that that opening partnership, it goes a, a long, long way. And I think on the on the flip side, from a batting point of view, Meg Lanning is very, very consistent. And I'd expect her to have a very strong game against her, her old team. And uh, I think I like those little grudge matches. I, I think they're really, they're really fascinating to watch. So I'm predicting runs for Lanning. Nice. As we always say, after she's scored 12, watch out. <laughs> it's so true. Amesy, thank you as always for joining us on The Scoop. We've got a big weekend of cricket to look forward to and we'll chat to you afterwards. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thank you once again for joining us on this week's episode of The Scoop. There is so much cricket coming up this week. We've got the start of the midweek matches at Blacktown International Sports Park on Tuesday and Wednesday. Then this weekend, a huge triple header on Saturday at North Sydney Oval, as well as action at Hurstville across Saturday and Sunday. You can tune into all the action live on Channel 7, Foxtel, KO Sports and the CA Live app. And of course, keep up to date with all the latest news on cricket.com.au and on social media via cricket.com.au channels and WBBL. We'll chat to you next week. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 